Well, do you ever wonder why the angel of the Lord appeared first to shepherds? It wasn't a chance, a fluke, it wasn't happenstance. There was design in our Lord's uh, plan, and it really is quite a remarkable story. We've already read portions of it, and as we open our Bibles this morning to Luke 2, and we rehearse this story, much of it is familiar. Some of you memorized this when you were just little children. The Scripture account tells us that in the days, in those days, a decree went out for, from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And now here's where the story begins to become a little interesting, isn't it? And while they were there... The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, a couple of things about shepherds that I want you to know. First of all, shepherds were people who, who had no reputation. And by that I mean that there are actually... Uh, Ordinances on the books, if you will, that say a shepherd's testimony in a court of law in that day didn't count for anything. Just because they were shepherds. It wasn't because the whole lot of them were determined to be unreliable or untruthful, but their, their vocation was such a dishonorable vocation uh, that they were excluded from the courts. Furthermore, there is teaching at that time in the religious system that if a shepherd uh, was in some kind of difficulty, the ordinary person was taught uh, to leave him alone let them help themselves, let them figure out their own way out of this trouble, uh, but to associate closely with them would bring a kind of, of spiritual reproach, if not defilement. But these shepherds on this particular night are in this field, and here's another little point of history that's really interesting to me. Bethlehem is actually not too far from Jerusalem. And it was commonly known that in those days, the flocks that were kept in that general vicinity were often the flocks from which the lambs were taken and used in temple sacrifices. So these shepherds were probably in the fields keeping watch over their flocks, as the Scripture says, at night because it was lambing season. And they wanted to be there to protect them. Uh, from all the predators that might come along, but also to make sure that the lambs that were absolutely necessary for temple sacrifice and worship uh, would, would be protected, guarded, and kept. So even though these are men without any kind of a reputation or standing in the local community, they're doing a really important work. And it's to them that, as verse 9 says, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. We can kind of understand why they'd be filled with fear, can't we? But was it simply the kind of fear that you would feel if you were driving down near Dugway or Area 51, and suddenly there's this extraterrestrial appearance, you'd be saying, oh my I think there's actually more to it than just they're surprised. 
Something happened that they weren't expecting. Something from another world is suddenly present with them. If you go back through the Old Testament and you trace the appearances either of angels, the angel of the Lord, of God himself, or the glory of the Lord, you find that there is a fear that's rooted much more deeply than just the fear of something extraterrestrial. Joshua encountered the commander of the army of the Lord as is recorded in chapter 5, verse 14 of the the book bearing his name. And it says, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? Daniel, who sees Gabriel, a special angelic messenger sent from God, a a messenger who would have had spectacular and warlike appearance because he's a, a mighty angelic warrior. Daniel sees him and records in his prophecy, I was frightened and fell on my face. When Isaiah encountered the glory of the Lord in his vision, he cried, woe is me, I'm ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips. But it is Ezekiel who describes the appearance of the glory of the Lord in this particular way. And he says, listen to this, I saw as it were the appearance of fire and there was brightness around him, that is God, like the appearance of the rainbow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Something like a rainbow, but something even more spectacular. And perhaps an image like this might begin to capture just a little something of how spectacular that glory of the Lord was when it shone around the shepherds. Night turns to day, and Ezekiel's testimony is, when I saw it, that is, when I saw the glory of the Lord, I fell on my face. I suggest to you that it is likely that the greatest part of the fear the shepherds were feeling that night and experiencing was the sense of their sinfulness in the presence of a holy, righteous, glorious God. That kind of light is an exposing light. And I've been thinking all week long in preparation for this moment, if God were to illuminate your world with His perfect glory, with His light, what kind of sin in you might be exposed? What kind of sin within me would be exposed? And perhaps we would have an overwhelming sense that we are a people whose hearts are filled with lust and greed and envy or self-righteous pride. Perhaps it would be our gossiping tongues or our smoldering anger, all kinds of sin that occupy our souls and in the brilliant light of God's glory would cause us to tremble and say we are sinful people. But the Gospel account in Luke 2 goes on to say, and you've heard this repeated several times already in the course of the service, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will be for all the people. You may be fearful in your sinfulness right now, feeling exposed or vulnerable. Uh, I think this is kind of layered into the text here, but the angel is saying, do not be afraid. This angel has not come in judgment. Even with the brilliant glory of God itself shining in on their lives, this is not a moment for them to be afraid. Rather, there is a message. He says, I bring you good news. It's news that first removes fear and then secondly produces joy. And it's good news that is something that should be proclaimed, something that should be spread abroad for all the people. 
Now, it is not lost on me as I read the story, and I don't want to be lost on you, that these shepherds who have no social standing in the neighborhood, who have no respect, are not regarded as upstanding citizens in the community, they are the ones that God comes to with the good news, and through his angelic messenger says to them, this is actually good news for all people. So if it's good news for shepherds, there's hope for the rest of us. All people. And what is this particular news? What is this news about to be given to shepherds, men of such little esteem, men whose place in society is so despised? Well, you read it in the text. Look at verse 11 there on the screen. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Oh, that, that, that little message is packed with truth. What does it mean, first of all, that he is a savior? Well, a one who saves or rescues from danger, from destruction, a hero. But then the angel uses two other words, a name, a title, and says the savior in particular is Christ. And you could even put the definite article, the, in front of it, the Christ, because that's a term that refers to Messiah all through the Old Testament. And for several thousand years leading up to this point, prophets had been moved by the Holy Spirit to predict that God would send his anointed one, a very special one. And through those thousands of years, they knew that this would be a descendant, first of all, of Abraham. And then more specifically, he would be a descendant of the great King David. He would be a son of David who would sit on a throne and establish a kingdom that would never come to an end. He would be born not only in the house of David, David, but prophecies had even identified the very location, Bethlehem. You, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you be little among the thousands, yet out of you shall he come forth to be that is to be the ruler in Israel. Prophecies just like that. And these shepherds are the ones who are hearing this good news that a mighty deliverer has been born. And it's not just a deliverer or a judge like Samson or Barak or one of the other Old Testament deliverers. No, this Savior is the Messiah. And lest there be any doubt, then the angel uses a very special title, the Lord. Lord is a word translated in the New Testament that is equal to the Old Testament title, Jehovah, Yahweh. And that title, as it's revealed to us from the Old Testament and right through the New, speaks of God as the self-existent one. That is the one who never had a beginning and he doesn't have an end. He's the eternal God. That's why he's referred to in other places as the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. Here is God without beginning, without end, the self-existent one from whom all others in this universe, derive their life. He created all that is. This is not only the Christ, this is the Savior. How stunning. And this is the good news, that God has entered the world and become a man in order that sinful men, like shepherds, and like the whole bunch of us here this morning, might actually be brought back to God. Oh, what news this is. To you, a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. You know, there are a couple of other prophecies. There's one back in Luke 1 that is really special. 
And when the angel, another messenger sent from the Lord, was revealing to Mary that she would conceive uh, a, a special child, look at this, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. A lot of moms here today. Can you imagine having a message like that from an angel from on high saying, let me tell you about the child who's going to be born? And what joy and awe, even fear that would put in your hearts to say, this is no ordinary son. His name, though, is Jesus. Now, in Luke's gospel, he doesn't include the specific uh, meaning of the name Jesus, but if you go to Matthew's gospel, you find it specifically explained. And this is actually the angel's message to Joseph, the earthly father. He's not the biological or spiritual father of this one. No, we know from other passages that the Holy Spirit came over Mary, and through that miraculous work, the Christ child was conceived. But the angel says to Joseph, she will bear a son, that is, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and here's the meaning of Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. All of this is tied into the good news. A Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord, predicted to both parents that his name would be Jesus, selected by God himself as that eternal testimony that he saves his people from their sins. And the good news is that this is the one who has come into the world. Do you see your need of a Savior today? Has there ever been a time where you've recognized there's stuff going on inside your soul that, that you can't really remedy on your own? There are things going on in your head that you know are not right. Violation of God's law. And maybe you've been able to keep it secret from everybody else, but you think of yourself being exposed by the glory of God, just you before God, as you really are. Don't you need a Savior? I do. I first recognized that when I was about five years old. God began to just speak to my heart and, and reveal to me, Danny, you are a sinful man, even though I was a little man. And I believed his word. The good news that first says you're a really bad person, but the good news is there is a Savior, Christ the Lord. I called on him for my own salvation then, and I've continued to call upon him. I don't mean by that that I've been saved you know, hundreds and hundreds of times over. No, I think he saved me in those very first moments when even as a little child, I asked Jesus to be my savior and to forgive my sins. But I continue by faith to believe this is the Christ. This is the Lord. This is the savior. Well, it's really good news if you know that you're a sinner, that a savior, a deliverer, has been born. So there's glory that exposes sin, but there's a good news or, or good message of, of good news that's being given, and, and that message that Jesus is the one who saves his people from their sins begins to create great joy. Look at Luke 2, verses 12 and following. 
The angel says, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And at that moment, suddenly, the scripture says, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Now think about that for a moment. We sang that earlier, didn't we? We kind of want to sing again right now, don't we? Glory to God in the highest for this amazing work that he has done. And one, one author writes, the heavenly visitors indicate that heaven is impressed by what God has achieved. We have no idea how many angels were present suddenly with that one angelic messenger who came. Could it have been hundreds? Could it have been thousands? Sure, maybe the sky was full of them, but there they are, the, the heavenly attendants of God Almighty who have descended from that point and now it's, and probably hovered over the shepherds and they just begin to, to praise and maybe there's a song, uh, who knows what it sounded like, but there is this great word of praise, glory to God in the highest. They're bearing testimony to the fact that what God has done is amazing and it is worthy of praise. You think about what was happening in that moment. Hundreds and hundreds of prophecies were being fulfilled. Prophecies from the days of Moses when he said, a prophet greater than I will one day come. He's come. Prophecies that said a great king, a descendant of David, will come and establish his eternal throne of peace. That day has come. A, a prophecies that said a great high priest who will fulfill everything necessary for our salvation. A priest who is greater than Aaron and his sons. A priest who is greater than Melchizedek would come. That priest has arrived this very night. And finally, and I want to just interject this for the shepherd's sake, The Old Testament had also revealed that God would one day send the once-for-all sacrifice, and those shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks, waiting for sacrificial lambs to be born. But it is this night that the one and only Lamb of God is born. And they've been keeping watch in the fields, and God is saying, I'm about to send you to a lowly animal stable to watch my lamb. What a place of honor. What a moment of glory. Glory to God in the highest. The lamb is born. And then they go on to say, peace on earth. I don't know if you know the backstory to that carol that may be a little less familiar. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. I was curious about this and just yesterday spent a little time researching this and was was quite overwhelmed with the the backstory. It's a poem that was actually written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Some of you may have studied him in a literature class once upon a time, or, or you're about to. But in the year 1863, he had received a telegram that his son, and this was one of six children that Longfellow had, had been severely wounded in one of the battles of the Civil War. Only two years before this, his wife had perished in a very horrific and tragic accident where her dress caught on fire and she was burned to the point where she lived only a few hours beyond that. He was still grieving the loss of his wife and now he receives the news that his son has been severely wounded, shot through the shoulders in such a way that the the surgeons estimated he was only just a, a, a small measure from being paralyzed, having his spinal cord severed, and the surgeon said, this will be a long recovery, 
your son is very, uh, in very serious condition. And on Christmas Day, 1863, Longfellow, at the age of 57, a widower and still father of six children that he loved and wanted to care for, wrote this poem. And he was seeking to capture, as one man writes, the dynamic and dissonance in his own heart. And some of us feel that, don't we? We sing these great carols and, and sing of peace on earth, yet it, sometimes within our own hearts we say, I don't even have peace personally. Our nation certainly doesn't have peace. Uh, our, our economy, you know, everybody's afraid of what's going to happen next, right? Watching the stock market, it's scary. Watching politics, it's scary. And we feel some of that same dissonance that Longfellow was wrestling in his particular day in 1863. And, and there is a particular theme that occurs through this particular poem, the theme of listening, listening to those bells. And what is the message that those caroling bells are, are speaking out to us? And Longfellow wrote these lines, and Seth sang them earlier, "'In despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth,' I said." For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. And this is the message that he was hearing through those caroling bells. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. How do you know that peace will prevail? How do you know that there really will be an, an overrunning of evil one day and where we will be able to say the right will prevail? The only sure evidence of this is found in the birth of Jesus Christ and in the life that he lived beyond that and the death he died on Calvary's cross, the mighty and miraculous resurrection and ultimately his ascension on high. Hundreds of prophecies were fulfilled at his first coming. There are hundreds more that have yet to be fulfilled. And my friend, you may be, as, you may be sure that the word of God that has yet to be fulfilled will one day be fulfilled. The earth is not yet under the full reign of Christ in the sense where lions lie down with lambs and the weapons of warfare are remolded and reshaped into tools of agriculture. We're not yet at that point, but the day is coming. And the peace that is sung of by this angel host, the peace that we have sung of in this place today is tied exclusively to Jesus the Christ. The angels finally say, among men whom God has favored. And there's a sense where he has favored the world because he has sent his son into the world. But there's a little more specific message, I think, that is intended here. Because if you read through the scriptures, the favored ones are those who not only hear the good news that God has sent his son into the world, but are those who know their sinfulness and call upon God for his forgiveness and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. I love the words of the Apostle Paul who said, God has saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, or we could even say according to his own favor. 
How did he do it? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that we might be justified by his grace and become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Aren't you glad that part of this message is it is not up to you or to me to earn God's favor, to earn our right standing with him? He's done it through Jesus. Oh, we respond in faith. We respond in obedience. We submit ourselves to his lordship on a daily basis. Obedience is important, but your salvation is not tied into your capacity to fulfill God's law perfectly. God did it in Jesus alone. Well, the story goes on to say that when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing. Literally, see this word. See, see the message that the angels have, have just given us. See it live. See this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Don't you know that they were in awe? They're used to being ignored. They're used to being shunned. But the God of glory sent his angelic host with a very special message, a special word for them, and said to them, you all are my chosen ones this night to go see the Lamb. And so I, I, would, I would have loved to have been there. I, I don't know how long they stood there, maybe gazing up into the heavens, maybe saying things like, what just happened? But here's the really important thing, isn't it? That they move in response to this message, let us go. And so verse 16 says, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I think God has a sense of humor that he would choose the outcasts, the ones who were lowest on, on the social totem pole to receive the greatest news and then to begin to voice it abroad. And you know, some of the people who heard it were probably conflicted saying, you know, these shepherds couldn't stand in a court of law and, and give a credible testimony because of what our law says, but they sure seem to be persuaded that what they've seen and heard tonight is so. I think God has a sense of humor. But it's also a reminder that God is actually looking for the humble and the meek, the people who say, I'm not much to look at. I'm not an impressive figure in the public realm, but I know I need a Savior. When the night began, these shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks in order that they might see if any new lambs would be born, perhaps lambs that would be taken to the temple for sacrifice. How could they even begin to imagine that before the night was over, they would see God's one-of-a-kind lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, lying in that manger, a trough where animals would receive their feed, lying there is the Savior who is the Messiah, who is Jehovah, 
What contradictions and staggering realities these are. <coughs> and yet it is the same message they received from the angels that apparently they are voicing abroad. Fear not, for behold, we bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all people. Unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is one of those points in Scripture where you say, I am called to believe this message personally. I'm also called to voice it abroad. To say to others, can I tell you the good news? There's a Savior for people like us who've been marginalized by the society we live in. For people like us who know our weakness and imperfection, who know our sin and unrighteousness, who know our law-breaking, who, who know all of that darkness within our souls, and yet for us, Jesus is born. And so we share it. We too proclaim it. It's good for us to sing. It's good for us to celebrate. I think it's good and right for us to exchange gifts as a reminder that God gave the greatest gift in sending Jesus. But believing truth concerning Jesus as God has revealed it to us is most important. Do you believe? Do you believe? Let's pray together. Great God and Father, how we thank you this Lord's Day, that you sent your only begotten Son into the world to save us. We marvel at this message that God became a man in order that we might be rescued from our sin, forgiven, restored, made partakers of your holiness. Such a remarkable gift Christ is. As we continue to praise your name, sing the carols and celebrate this season until it culminates two days from now on Christmas Day. Oh, take these truths, take this good news of a great joy deep into our souls. I pray for those who are here today who, who just live under the darkness and spiritual frustration of their own unrighteousness and often cry out, God, what, what am I supposed to do with this? How can I find deliverance? Would you show them it's in Jesus and in Jesus alone? Would you bring the power of his life and death and resurrection to bear upon their hearts today that they might know the staggering joy of being delivered? Thank you for those who are following you in faithfulness. Thank you even for the children who have sung. They've blessed us today by their singing and, and through the, the, the bells. But would you grow their understanding of the Lord Jesus and that they might love him and serve him and follow him with all that they are, that they might believe on him because he only is the Savior. For people of all ages gathered with us today, sealed to our hearts, 
this good news of a great joy for all people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.